seeing what guests pick as songs and always set the tone that was a good time <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> I feel like i was walking into a, an arena just now <laughs> yeah i think that was the arena version yes the stadium pitch what's up everybody ricker and bond happy monday or whatever day you're listening to i'm ricker that's bond we have a uh, lovely guest that will talk about very lovely things mr colin pape how you doing Doing well. Thanks, John. Thanks, Bon. Thank you for coming. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Colin Pape is the CEO of Decentralized um, Search Engine Pre-Search. Uh, such an honor to have you here because, you know, Ricker and I both love learning new things um, whenever we can. So, yeah, let's have a, let's have a sweet episode. Sweet episode. Uh, awesome. Can you give us a, a timeline about yourself and uh, how that got into pre-search? Yeah, uh, I, I kind of got into the internet fairly early, like late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, and it was an amazing place. It was this kind of free and open land and uh, no rules, nobody really dominating the web at that point. And uh, it was amazing, honestly, those, those early days. Uh, you know, when I was 21, I had uh, a $2,500 a month T1 internet connection in my bedroom. I had six servers running. I was, you know, serving web pages. Uh, I kind of was around before Google actually became a thing. And uh, uh, then, you know, I was an early promoter of, of Google along with many others and uh, have another company called shopcity.com that I've been running for uh, a pretty long time. And uh, in 2011, woke up one day and all of our sites, which had been you know, ranking really well, uh, done in partnership with city governments and different uh, local authorities, all of a sudden they were on page eight of Google. We're like, what the hell's going on? And so we ended up uh, you know, getting into a bit of a, a battle with Google. There was an FTC investigation that was underway. And uh, we ended up joining in on that and uh, ended up kind of getting our issue resolved, but realized through that just how much market power Google had and, you know, how many thousands and thousands of others this had happened to. And just started thinking, man, like search is way too powerful, way too concentrated with, you know, just one company dominating 92% of searches. And uh came up with the concept for pre-search in like 2013, 2014, and uh, kind of thought of it as like the Switzerland of search. So it wasn't just a search engine. It was a way that you could access many different search engines as well and uh, kind of have a bit of a level playing field. And so built an early product, uh, got some good feedback on it, but didn't really have a go-to-market strategy. 
And then in 2017, kind of discovered Ethereum, realized that we could tokenize the whole platform and basically crowdfund it and then build a model where we would reward people for switching their searches over to pre-search. And then we could have an advertising engine that utilized the token as a payment mechanism. And so kind of been uh, cranking away on it ever since then. Awesome. I want to get into kind of how, I want to get into searching a little bit, but you were talking about the early internet and how it was more decentralized than a later version. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, there have always been walled gardens. You know, there was like AOL in the very early days. And then, you know, you definitely had platforms that had significant reach, uh, you know, whether it was MSN chat in the early days or there was a thing called ICQ back in the day. Uh, both those had significant reach. Uh, but, you know, I, th I think one of the big differences, it was, you know, kind of pre-Facebook, people used aliases and they used pseudonyms. They didn't use their real name for a lot of stuff. And most people were still really privacy conscious and, you know, LinkedIn didn't exist. And the thought of like putting out the amount of information that we all put out online uh, these days was just, you know, not there. And so it, it kind of gave everybody a little bit more freedom to, uh, you know, I think just, you know, be creative, speak your mind. Uh, it was generally more forums were, were kind of, you know, the way that a lot of people communicated around different topics. And, you know, a lot of that stuff still exists. It's just that it's largely been subsumed by Facebook and Google and, uh, you know, the amount of just ad revenue that those two uh, companies have kind of pulled away from the entire rest of the ecosystem, everybody else is kind of left with the scraps. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's, I, I think it's not worse now. I think it's, you know, in many ways, it's, it's certainly better as well. And certainly that from a technology standpoint and connectivity, uh, but there was kind of this like early internet ethos where, where everybody was kind of like pirates and, you know, we were kind of out there on the open seas and we were free to do what we wanted. And now there's just, you know, kind of becoming, and especially, you know, with some of this COVID stuff and vaccine passports, which are going to become, you know, the global digital ID, uh, all these, these things kind of coming. Uh, I, I still have this vision for where the internet was and, you know, the, the power that it brought to individuals and uh, the ability that it, it kind of gave creators and uh, in just kind of this free and unfettered landscape. And uh, I can just see that kind of being whittled away. And, uh, you know, I, I, I would love to see if we could take the best of what we have today and then, you know, kind of return a little bit of the, that ethos and, and try to prevent some of these initiatives that I think are, are really going to uh, harm both privacy as well as individual rights and freedom. How what? do you, um, so how do you plan on like, moving i don't want to say the masses but like a good amount of people over to like decentralized platforms and services i i think it's it's just happening organically honestly i mean and the, the beauty of decentralization is you know there's no one person or one project or or company that's that's responsible i think uh you know it's it's not going to be the the majority to start for sure it never is it's always kind of that uh you know early adopter uh type type crowd um 
but I, th- I think, you know, because of crypto, I think that that has really been growing and there's uh, already a significant demographic of people that are just kind of waking up to, you know, the power of just controlling your own money. You know, that, that that's like kind of the first and fundamental kind of bedrock foundation that we need in order to be free. And as people start to, you know, get that power and start to realize uh, that it can be different, then they start looking at all these different decentralized alternatives, you know, BitChute instead of YouTube or, uh, you know, PreSearch instead of Google. Uh, there's so many different ones that are, that are coming up, different social networks. And uh, I, I think ultimately, you know, so some of the stuff with like where the powers that be are kind of steering us are, are somewhat aligned, you know, the, the potential to have like a digital ID. But I think having one that's federated and, and where we ha- are still kind of self-sovereign and not within the framework of some organization that's going to implement a social credit score according to what they you know, want to see and how they want us to behave, uh, I think is, uh, is really important. So I, I, I think, you know, there's definitely um, the, the technology is maturing and we're getting ourselves uh, just kind of organically to a point where, you know, hundred or, or hundreds of millions of people uh, kind of, you know, are aware care. And, and again, some of this, this stuff that's going on out in the world, I mean, if you see what's happening in Austria, what's happening in Australia, all these places where they're, they're implementing these draconian lockdowns and they're trying to really, you know, control the populace. Uh, there, there's more people that are waking up to the dangers of, uh, you know, that centralized power and that centralized control and, you know, what it can do to uh, individual liberty and, and freedom. And so as that starts to happen, kind of the natural pushback is people looking at alternatives. How do we escape that system? How do we kind of create a parallel system? And that to me is where, you know, decentralized technology and cryptocurrency are going to kind of really fit into that mix and, and hopefully give us a bit of a, an escape hatch out of what is otherwise, you know, kind of uh, uh, already been demonstrated in, in China with the social credit system that they have where, you know, we're all just totally under control. So, uh, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think it's happening and uh, it, it doesn't have to be everybody for sure. I was going to ask, is, do you think that will there be a, a majority of people that, will be incentivized or naturally lean into decentralized things? Or is it always just going to be a little bit more of a minority of kind of like tech people or people who are into that? Is there, can you, can you make a product that is good enough? So people don't really care about the tech behind of it. Yeah, I, I, I think so. Absolutely. I mean, considering really still how early we are, uh, you know, with, with kind of decentralization really getting traction and, and people realizing that there's a problem and realizing that uh, we need these alternatives. Uh, there, there's already I mean, the, the, the beauty of it is, is that, you know, kind of the centralized powers that be have already paved the way. Uh, and so we can leverage a lot of the uh, infrastructure that has been built. And there are ways that we can reach many more people much faster. Uh, you know, a lot of the uh, kind of, you know, the, the, the frameworks have already been established uh, that we can utilize for go to market strategies and that we can utilize uh, just to kind of bootstrap uh, until we're at that point where we're fully, you know, decentralized. And I, I mean, there's some interesting stuff. I mean, uh, I don't know. I, I, 
I'm trying to hold out faith that Elon Musk is a good guy. Cause if he is man, honestly, like Starlink, we've got like a parallel internet potentially that uh, could be global in, in scale. And uh, you know, when you start thinking about stuff like that, like, man, the future could be really exciting. Uh, so I I'm, I'm hopeful that uh, you know, we're, we're going to just get enough people. It's, it's just about getting to that critical mass point. And I think we're, we're almost there already. Truthfully, we might already uh, be there. And, uh, you know, there's just so many people that are, that are waking up every day and realizing that, you know, there's something that's off with this kind of centralized system and these powers that be, and, uh, they're looking at alternatives. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think the way that it always happens, I mean, you can't aim for kind of the end, uh, state and you can't expect the masses to, uh, be early adopters. I mean, it's, it's always, uh, you know, those, those kind of visionaries, uh, to start. And there were many of them within the crypto space who, who really laid an amazing foundation for us, one of personal responsibility and one where, you know, do your own research and, uh, all those kinds of, you know, really fundamental principles that, that I think are still strong enough within the space, even as it's kind of, you know, expanded and it's been a little bit co-opted by, you know, the, the financial, uh, sector to become a little bit of, you know, the wall street 2.0, uh, I think there's still that kind of fundamental ethos and a lot of the people who are significant, you know, uh, asset holders, whether it's Bitcoin, Ethereum, any of the, the really kind of, you know, core chains, I mean, they're, they're very much libertarian and they're, they're definitely uh, freedom oriented and uh, having that kind of power uh, rest with those types of people, I think is a really positive thing for this space. So uh, I, I think, you know, it's, it's enough that, you know, as you expand and you bring more people in, it kind of like you lose some of that, but I think that there's enough that it's going to uh, continue to permeate. And uh, as more people get onboarded, they're, they're still going to, you know, kind of end up in, in a better spot than they would otherwise, you know, like, like thinking of, you know, Facebook with, you know, whatever Libra or DM or whatever the heck they're calling it now, having that as, you know, or, or, you know, these central bank digital currencies where they want to be able to like, you know, zap your bank account. If you speak out against, you know, COVID stuff, it's, it's insane. So, you know, I, I think there's enough people that are going to uh, just kind of keep pushing there and it's going to take time, but we'll get there. For people that may not 100% understand, like, how your process works, can you explain, like, decentralization and running a node on your device and how that um, helps create pre-search? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, basically... Uh, when you do a search, it, it comes into uh, what we call a node gateway. And so uh, over time, we'll, we'll continue to decentralize that whole layer of infrastructure. Right now, we're more focused on the, the kind of sub-layer of that. So, so you do a query, it hits uh, a node gateway. It then basically anonymizes your search. So it gets rid of any uh, identifying information. And then it passes it over to uh, this network of nodes. Uh, there's about 46,000 of them that are, are running currently on our test net. Uh, the main net is going to go live, uh, you know, early in Q1 of 2022. And so as uh, the query then hits those nodes, then they go out to a whole bunch of different sources, existing search engines, databases, APIs, and kind of combine those results back and then pass it back to the node gateway. And then that 
returns the results to you. Uh, over time, we'll be building our own index uh, that will be fully independent, and uh, there will be you know all different types of node functions, uh, whether it's you know crawling or indexing. Uh, there's there's many different kind of uh, within you know operating a search engine different. Uh, functions and, and they have different hardware requirements, different kind of profiles, and uh, there will eventually be different types of rewards, uh, different reward rates for the the work that's being done. Uh, but to start, you know, we have been trying to uh, create something that that is as usable as Google and uh, ensure that you know we've kind of got the long tail of search covered, which is like all those like random obscure queries, which are really really hard to uh, to do, and. Uh, so, you know, we've, we've had pretty solid success so far, about 2.9 million registered users right now doing uh, more than three and a half million searches a day. And, uh, you know, everything kind of is just continuing to come together. The way that we, we set up the project, we kind of said in our early white paper, hey, we're going to start basically centralized and then over time decentralize it more and more. So eventually that will extend to, you know, full governance. Uh, but, you know, we've been trying to get it to a point where it's kind of, you know, the, the core product is usable and we've got a basically sustainable token economy. And uh, as we get that, then it's about, you know, kind of me getting out of the, the way and enabling more of the community to do, uh, you know, governance on the project. Can you break down for me and anybody who doesn't know how Google's search works and the difference between that and pre-search? And then we can get into kind of just the the key features of pre-search. You talk about token and rewards. Um, so can you break down just how people search things on the internet? Yeah. So I, I mean, it fundamentally is fairly similar. Uh, you know, really, I think the big difference between like a decentralized project like pre-search and, and something like Google uh, actually comes back to more like the structure of it and the vision of it. And so, uh, you know, if you think of like the foundation of, of Google, it started off as an academic project and it was very, you know, kind of, uh, uh, you know, grassroots, but then, you know, they took venture capital. And then, so as soon as venture capital comes in, then you've basically got this class of people that is looking for an investment return. And how do they get that investment return? Well, you can either be bought or you can go public. And if you go public, then you're basically submitting to the rules of Wall Street, which is basically drive as much revenue as possible. And uh, profit is kind of the barometer of your success. And so what you end up doing in that model is basically uh, creating all these different stakeholders that have totally different objectives. So you've got a user and they want, you know, the best search results and they want, you know, generally privacy and they, they want to be respected. Uh, you've got advertisers that want, you know, the, the best results at, at kind of the best rate, ideally. Uh, and they want to hopefully have an audience that kind of respects them and an audience that's going to uh, last. Uh, but then you've kind of got this other group that has, you know, this, this objective that is basically, uh, you know, extract as much as possible from both those two groups. And, and that's how they get their, uh, you know, rewards. 
And so by, by having everybody kind of misaligned, you end up with a search engine like Google that does, you know, tracking and profiling and uh, all the, the things that people don't like, you know, they do a search on there and then they're surfing the internet or, you know, they're, they're men sometimes on a smart TV or whatever. And somehow they get an ad for the thing that they searched for. And it's because they've been tracked and profiled and it's kind of got this, this creepy factor. Uh, and then there's the stuff that goes on behind the scenes that just none of us really knows about. Uh, you know, InQtel being one of the you know investors uh, division of the CIA in Google. I mean, who knows, right? Uh, and then you've got something that's more uh, decentralized, like research, where basically you know the the users and the you know the team, uh, the early crowd funders, everybody is basically aligned around the same value unit, which is the research token. And so, you know, for the people who hold pre-tokens, like if the user is feeling uh, abused and, and if there's like negativity around that, then that's going to impact the token price. If the advertiser is not obtaining value, then that's going to uh, impact the token price. And it, it doesn't just, you know, kind of impact the funders. It's like the advertisers themselves hold the token. So they have an incentive to not try to abuse the users. The users... If they're delivering value to the advertisers and the advertisers value the token more, well, they are earning tokens. And so their kind of asset increases in value. So it's kind of like this flywheel where everybody benefits and we're all kind of on that same level playing field as the project grows and gets stronger, the value of the token increases. And then that benefits everybody versus Google, where, you know, it's, it's like less than 1% of the people who use Google actually own Google shares. And uh, the way that it was started, it, you know, there was kind of this insider group that got access to really kind of all that upside within uh, Google equity. And, and so ultimately you end up with retail investors and sure there's still upside, uh, but it's like at a whole different level. Whereas this is like, man, we've got people who are uh, our biggest advertisers, also our most active users and our most significant crowd funders. And it's like the same person and they're, they're all kind of aligned around this, this same value uh, unit. And so, you know, there's the technological aspect of it as well, which again, not like super different uh, on, on many levels, you know, the, the crawling and the indexing and determining relevance. A lot of those things happen similarly. Uh, it's just that, you know, you've kind of got that, uh, that playing field that's been leveled. And then it's really more about kind of, uh, you know, just instead of having these massive data centers, we're distributing our infrastructure to all the unused competing resources or, uh, you know, virtual private servers that people are running these nodes on. Instead of having this team of engineers working behind the scenes on uh, an algorithm, uh, it's open to the community so that they can help curate that, uh, you know, determination of relevance and, you know, through things like staking tokens and uh, other ways that they can confer uh, trust, it enables the community to actually participate. So it's not like this black box. And uh, ultimately, you know, what that will result in is, you know, not this, this kind of 
monolithic vanilla search engine that's the same for everybody that is kind of, you know, in the corner of the powers that be censoring information that a lot of people are looking for or finding, you know, different kind of views on. And uh, it's, you know, providing people with something that, that, you know, is working really more for them in their interests. And especially ultimately as, you know, the governance model uh, takes uh, effect, then it's like, you know, it's, it, it's, to me, search is like a utility, honestly, like it's, it's, uh, you know, one of those fundamental core things, uh, we need it for a free and open internet, and it shouldn't be in the hands of, you know, one company that controls 92% of all searches. I'm glad you brought up the, um, incentive and values part, because I try to explain tokenization to people and they're like, how's that different from wall street? And I'm like, uh, I don't know. That's it, man. Honestly, it's one of the biggest things. And, and, you know, there, there should be more communication around it because it's, it's super important. Not, not only that, but I think the the nature of most of these, you know, crypto projects, I mean, we've got our telegram group or, you know, there's Reddit and it's like the, the founders of the project, the people who are, are involved, they're there. If you have an issue, you can communicate with people. If you have feedback and ways that you can steer things and, and help improve it, then you can participate versus, you know, oh, well, if you were in the focus group, then you maybe got to have a say. But for the most part, everything is kind of done behind closed doors. And you try to, you know, you have this like team of people trying to determine what should we give them? And then they give it to you versus like, you know, we're kind of working out in the open and people are like constantly like, hey, this sucks or hey, this is good. Hey, did you think of this? Hey, I know this person and, you know, we can introduce you to their project and then this will unlock all these other doors. And so it's just a much more collaborative process as far as really building the project uh, versus, you know, a traditional VC backed or, or, you know, kind of Wall Street focused business. Yeah. So it, is that kind of the main difference? Because like you said, it's still kind of analogous somewhat to the past, but I think the main difference is, is that companies and projects are working out more in the open and not behind curtains, which kind of just behooves people to do things that might the public might not like if it was in the open. Does that kind of make sense? Absolutely. And there's kind of a different level of accountability. I mean, even pre like full decentralized governance, I mean, like, you know, good luck, uh, you know, getting your feedback to, to Larry and Sergi from Google, even when they were in the early days. I mean, there was like this huge wall around them. And so they could do things knowing that, hey, well, you know, worst comes to worst somebody's going to, you know, whatever, maybe vent on something, but it's never going to actually come back to me. I got to like show up. I do a weekly video every single week and I go through the YouTube comments from the previous week. And like, man, if people want to like, Hey dude, you're a dick, like then they can do it. And, and it's, you know, kind of that, that interaction uh, that is, is, you know, just at a whole different level uh, than, than in those types of, of entities. And so, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a, from a technological standpoint, definitely some differences, but it's, it's to me, a lot of just kind of the, the, you know, values alignment and, uh, trying to, uh, just, you know, be more connected basically. Will you always be this, um, accessible, like no matter how pre-search, how big pre-search gets in the future? I was going to ask as well. Like yeah, at, at, I, at a critical at a critical mass, can you still have that transparency and, and communication with audiences? 
I, I think you can. And, you know, it's, it's always like, like, so, you know, we've got a, a team of admins within, you know, our, our telegram channel, for instance. So like, do I answer every question? Absolutely not. It's not possible. There's too many things going on, but like literally, uh, you know, I I'm lurking nonstop and I participate, you know, when it's like something new, Oh, this has never been asked before. Or this is, you know, and then as I put that out, then the people who are the admins pick that up and then that becomes kind of the thing. So it's like evolving in real time. And, and, you know, I'm always like one degree away. It's like an admin has the ability to access me no matter what. And so, uh, you know, I think that is actually pretty scalable to tell you the truth. And I, I think that, uh, you know, uh, I, I'm shocked, honestly, at like how how accessible you can be, and and you know not have you know overwhelm on certain fronts. It's like you know, uh, like like Gary Vaynerchuk, like you know him putting his phone number out on billboards and stuff like oh, that. Yeah. And he's like, hey, you know what? Like five people called me. It's like you know, at the end of the day, uh, it, it, it's ultimately generally a choice. Do you want to be accessible or not? And and you know, for the most part. Uh, a, a lot of the, the times where they're not, it's just that they choose not to be, uh, you know, for me personally, honestly, I don't really consider myself as much of a, a technologist. I mean, I am, but, uh, I'm more about people, man. I love people. I think people are amazing. And, uh, that is, you know, truthfully what I'm hoping really more to bring to the search space is more of like the human element of search, because it's so easy just to go to algorithms and to go to technology and to try to like fully automate everything and, and, you know, have this kind of like, uh, autonomous system, which is, is good. Definitely in some respects, you know, uh, we, we want some, uh, you know, some processes to be autonomous, but ultimately, uh, I feel like sometimes with engineers, they don't do, you know, maybe what they, they should do. They do what they could do. And, you know, oftentimes the difference between should and could comes down to the impact on humans. And sometimes if you're just too disconnected from, from the human side of it, you don't really understand, uh, you know, what the actual impact is. And so you do, oh yeah, we could do this. It's like, you know, fully automated. Well, yeah, it's got all these unintended consequences and it has, you know, ended up as a net negative for, for the humans. It's like, I, I don't, you know, really subscribe to that being the right way to uh, operate. I'm, you know, much more about the amazing people that are out there in the world and trying to connect with them and trying to give them tools and, and, you know, learn from them and be inspired from them. Honestly, it's like, there's so many amazing people that we cross paths with every day with this type of global project. It's just, I don't know, that that's what gets me excited. It's really not so much about, you know, financial resources. It's not so much about technology. It's like, man, there are like billions of amazing people out there and, you know, all the potential that we have and think of all the amazing stuff that we could do if we were better organized or if we were, you know, more cohesive even in, in a way where we realized, Hey, you know what? There's some people that are kind of working against our interests. They don't want us to realize our potential. They're trying to suppress us. Let's try to support not just pre-search by any means, all the different projects. Like, man, there should be, you know, a competitor to pre-search and like bring them in too. And like, try to get more people onto these different alternative platforms that really want to help them unlock their potential and just move us all forward. We've got the technology, we've got these, these networks, we've got these ways that we can be connected. 
But, you know, underlying that right now is like Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook and Wall Street and, you know, Google and all the other big tech companies. And it's like, man, if we just like, you know, kind of harness the good, but got rid of the the bad, generally the controlling kind of, you know, narcissist, uh, sociopathic kind of, you know, side of things and, and went just more to like free humans just think about what we could do. It'd be amazing. You know? So that's, that's what gets me excited. Awesome. I think that's a good place to stop for humans and awesomeness. Yes. Um, do you have a one, one last sentence you want to leave people with? Uh, no, just, uh, thank, thanks for watching. Uh, if you're interested, uh, presearch.org and, uh, thanks to everybody who's uh, been a part of it and who's, who's been supporting us. Appreciate it. Cool. Thank you so much, Colin, for coming on the show. I certainly learned a lot. Hopefully everyone else did too. Um, and yeah, I'm definitely going to start utilizing pre-search more now that I like know more about it because cool. I want to be a part of the mission. Yeah, baby. <laughs> awesome, we want to be Colin. part of your mission, man. Thanks, Colin. <laughs> appreciate thank it. You. Appreciate it. Uh, thank you, everybody. Colin, thank you so much for your time again. Uh, appreciate it immensely. Yeah. Take care, guys. I see you. Cool. Thank you. Trying to make a millionaire out of slum dogs. Bet that head crack blunt force. Cozy with the East Africans up northwest. Seven making three turn to ten by law. Crescent moon wink when I blinked, it was gone. Left the crib, smack no sheath on the sword. Made it by the skin on my teeth, thank God. Oh three, mama rockin' Liz Claiborne. How to stressin' up the wall. Here. Here. Victor and Bowen live from London. Why oh, live from London? Wait, no, we're not in London. We're in California. Why London? I don't know. I don't know why I said that. You kind of, you look like you could be a London dude. I? Who got you twisted? What got you all twisted up? I was just bored at work. I just did it myself. Oh, really? No, I'm just kidding. My cousin did it. I was like, dang, how's that work? People could could do that, right? Be hard, I'd assume, but I'm sure someone out there can twist themselves. Uh, Yeah, I think people do it. I'm sure they do. It's definitely hard on the shoulders. Dang. You're just like, people <laughs> take them out themselves, so I'm sure they're okay. good. But yeah. Breaker was... and Bond, thanks for listening, everybody. Cool interview with Colin Pape of Presearch. Before so you go to Presearch, definitely just go to freaking, you're listening to a podcast right now, so go subscribe, five stars. Discord. And tell your friends, you know, we're all about that, that love, that word of mouth. Um, let them know that you listen to Ricker and Bond every week. Whoa, okay. On the dot. Forgot that tab was open. <laughs> um, you ever just like, it's just like a fresh morning. You're fucking, your morning is just fresh. And then immediately like you see something, it's just like, oh. Because like I just opened a tab and it was just like porn. I've I've opened up my computer and it was just like not porn but everything from the day before and it's just like kind of hits you a little hard. Porn in the morning just doesn't feel right. No, you shouldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> like what, probably like not. drinking before noon is like, what are you doing? Probably not. Well, there's just social standards, dude. At the end of the day, though, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what was your biggest takeaway from Mister Pape? Uh, I was trying to figure out why people would care about tokenization over Wall Street. And he gave a pretty good example. It's kind of just goes back to just character of human and what people want to do. 
No, but he was right that like when you invest early in like Google and stuff, like those are often the only decision makers. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with tokenization, like more people have more say. But also, I don't know. It could all this could go sideways, like the internet did. And I, I, like, I mean, I, I do. It's just troughs and it's highs and lows, man. It's like you said, the beginning of the internet was very developer based. It was pretty open. And then you kind of overcorrect that into very centralized stuff. And now people are overcorrecting again into a, to the what it's been in the past with a little bit of evolution from the previous iteration. Uh, you still, you could get a say, but I, I do think that, I mean, if you have most more tokens than other people, if, if voting is set up by just sheer amount of tokens for a, for a, a governance model, then you still still kind of just working by wealth. Um, However, in Google aspect, mm-hmm. the advertisers are making a lot of money, but the advertisers aren't also the shareholders, so mm-hmm. they don't have as much incentive to like for the well being of the customer. There's a there's a lot more on the shoulders of people that participate in the projects to prop up the projects at a certain point. Like there's, I have, as, as a, so I was reading a book called Life After Google. It's a pretty cool book. I can't really say what was in it. <laughs> because there is no life after Google. <laughs> um, but it was, just, it was, it was just talking about how, first of all, Google doesn't have customers. And when you don't have customers, everything's free. So you're indebted to advertisers. And then you have a, a bad advertising experience mostly for people on the internet. Which I, you know, I still think that most people, I don't know if their hill to die on is bad advertising on the internet. It is a little disruptive. If people can make advertising, and, and they've, they've done a little bit with research. So they have, I, I didn't really ask about their advertising model, which I should have, but they you can stake the pre-token to get top advertising spots, I believe, which Mm -hmm. I think is pretty cool. Um, So that's a little less disruptive of an ad model because I don't know, you might, you might have, uh, I I mean, at least it props up the business. I should ask about advertising, get them on another time. Um, But Google doesn't have a product, you know, they don't sell anything. So they're just indebted to ads, just like Instagram and other stuff. Um, but with a lot more projects, people that are using the projects have a lot more synonym for incentive because I don't want to use incentive so much, um, to prop up a project and in the past, um, say again. So you're saying if, if, if the customer is paying for the project, they have more incentive to make the project good or make the product good like apple like we pay for their service so they don't need to track us with advertising so that's why they're like we're just gonna well, make this as good as possible yeah there's there's different back end for what the company has to do company slash project people just call crypto stuff projects their companies <laughs> but you know entities uh if you get money straight from a consumer off top you're a little more indebted to the consumer 
rather than ha having to go to another entity for funding, you know. It just kind of just goes back to users of projects funding the projects. Yeah. A bit overcorrection. Like I said, everything's overcorrection, and there's going to be a middle where it's going to be less very gung-ho on this side, and it might be a nice middle. Like, I like privacy. A lot, a lot of projects are like, yo, everything's in the public, and this is like the opposite of that. I like talking to people who were aware of the of what was going on when the internet was coming up. Yeah, they're not that old. <laughs> they yeah, exist. They're like in their fifties and stuff. Not like even. most people are like, they're like forty. Oh, I didn't use the internet until my son was like ten. Yeah. Damn. It's very interesting. But just, what did he say? What did he say? What was he say? Twenty five hundred dollars a month or something? He was paying for internet access. Something servery, man. Yeah, like not. That's what I'm saying. Also, I understand. There's a lot. There's overcorrection, like I say, of people that are very into tech, and that might not always go towards mass consumer. And I'm always interested a little bit more with mass consumer. But he he was right where he said, I don't know if he's right, but I, I enjoy his take where you can't really. I don't know if I agree with that though. But he said he he you kind of have to just build like with the early vision and not like the end of what it could be in the future. Like you have to iterate on what you're building and the progress that comes from that. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. You know, it's I, interesting. I've been watching a lot of Steve Jobs stuff and he, in the early days, in the 90s, he didn't seem very interested in the internet when he was making like when he was building next and building pixar and building um it's not very internet mac, based i mean the mac and stuff huh it's not very internet based well like people were at reporters were asking him like yo uh are you excited about this internet thing where your products ever have the power to connect to the internet because people want the internet in their homes and steve jobs would always say yeah yeah that's cool that's fine but look at this you know what was he look what was this it would be like it would be like the the colorful iMac that he made in the whatever year that was ninety eight or look at this we just made Toy Story it's the first three D animated motion picture you know like so that might have been him in his mind and all his tech people are like yo internet's gonna be banging but he might have been like yo okay people don't care so I'm gonna do a flashy little object in front of them. And then we'll I, funnel them into the internet. I don't think he thought people didn't care. He was just like, because when he was announcing the, what fucking computer was it? It was the Blue Mac, the Blue Mac that came out in like, I don't know what year, early 2000s, late 90s. And he said, There's no internet on that? There is. But when he announced it, it was just so like, so fast. He like gl glided over it. Mm -hmm. And people like erupted in applause when he said it. The internet? Yeah. Okay. But like it seemed like he didn't care. So I mean, what were the competitors at the time? There's PCs, Dells. Well, this was this was Apple's first product after almost going bankrupt. So <laughs> they could have released anything, and it would have been okay, probably. And who was, was the, uh, there's PC competitors, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think Dell was around. Um, Gateway. I had, I mean, I had a Dell computer in my household. But the um, real competitor was uh, Microsoft. 
as always. Shout out. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of just thinking. Didn't make computers back then. But I, I still. Oh, really? They just made Windows. Oh, really? Yeah. Microsoft didn't make a computer until the until a couple years, like recently. I guess the, I kind of intuitively knew that. Computers or laptops. They were. They are the uh, software company at heart. Yeah. And not hardware. It's probably why they won because they're like, yo, everyone's making hardware, dude. Let me, let's just make stuff that everybody puts on their stuff. That's literally why they won because they're like, we want to work <laughs> with everybody. And Steve was like, nah, fuck that. So he might have been, computers at the time might have been a little more, but I don't think they were because people had some PCs and they weren't geeks. They were like household people. But he might have just made it more consumer friendly and not like, yeah, this is amazing technology and more so. This is really fun to have in your home. Yeah, that's what Steve wanted it to be. Like, I want like the computer to be fun. I want a kid to be able to use it and paint. Like, look at it. It's smiling at you. It looks like a face. And that's it where I kind of come from, like a scary. product perspective. Because I, I mean, that's just marketing. Get get an emotion and then funnel into like the tech of it and how it's cool. But people don't even. I mean, tech's tech. People, I'm using the internet. I don't know how, how many cords are running through China under the sea. But would you use it if it weren't this easy to use? Uh, probably. <laughs> like if you had to, if we, if you and I had to like wait 15 minutes for our dial-up <laughs> connection to work, and this was just a, a horrible experience. Yeah, yeah. Would we use this, or would we be like, fuck it, let's just fucking technology. You know, always precedes people's tendencies so like culture always comes from technology in the world so people doing like literally podcasts i'm sure there are people that were doing audio things in in the early days but as someone made a technology that made it accessible people had a lot more inclination to use audio shows and stuff um, so I do think that if you make a good, uh, experience, it's a lot easier for people to use it. If it's friction, then you probably get the, the outskirts and the early adopters are into the tech. If it's very cool. Um, so a lot of what that book life after Google was talking about as well. And he touched on it. Um, was that like, it's a lot of tech is, uh, very AI and automation based, which is good, kind of, but it loses the aspect of, of humanness in it. So it, 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 it lacks a certain like mindset of, does this actually help people rather than like, okay, we got a, we got, we, we have a, a machine learning thing that does math with data, but the, at the end, the end consumer goal is kind of lost in the, in a little bit. Um, and in Google's case, maybe not lost, but given to other people. And that's, I think, a lot what a lot of projects are, are working on as well, of kind of getting back to... It's like you overcorrected to super tech again. You got a lot of tech. You have companies making cool tech, but then they got lost. And it's kind of funny. Remember the engineering thing you brought up about engineers stereotypically didn't get with like partners. So they, they just kind of got lost in tech and lost some human contact and like cues. Mm -hmm. 
I think you're you're coming down from that and kind of back to like the humanness of technology, where you have to build it up and get super techie, and not like tech doesn't exist behind it, but it goes back to like human interaction. Yeah, but you have to admit you can't skip that crucial step of overcorrecting. I think it's all straight. it's all necessary because you still learn from an overcorrection. Because um, like if you look at, I don't know, like YouTube's a really a pretty user friendly site. Quite. Like you can, people can navigate around it fairly easily. Easy to type, easy to click a button. You know it's going to go to the video. All the mess and trash. I'm not going to say trash because I'm sure it's very organized code. But all the trial and error that went into making sure that web page loads correctly and differently for every person, like there's no way you can just jump from 1995 to 2020 in terms of like a user experience. Yeah, I agree. It's all very necessary, but yeah. you just got to learn from the last step. Who knows how, how friendly the user experience could become. This could still be very rough compared to what we're going to get to. I think I, I do think that's what people are thinking about, and it, but it's also kind of like a bandaid pull because right now this is pretty like okay user experience, but I think there are things that could be better. And I don't even I don't really know what they are because I'm because especially with tech products you get very lulled into it and you're like oh this is the best thing I've ever seen and you kind of well, have to think ahead. And, and really look at things. The computer experience is still very passive. You still got to use your fingers. Oh, man. Tell me about it. I remember one thing. There's there's a few things that I always like. One, I wanted to control a music software just to basically telepathically. You know, that's very cool. Very cool. Um, two, which I think I do have a headline for, is I want to freaking read without holding a book, but also have Audible in my ear. So give me glasses, Apple. You said you're releasing something in 2022. They might be releasing a headset according to Mac rumors and some famous Mac rumor guy. Damn, I think that's too soon. It, it, it does look too soon. By the, by the visual visualization that I'm seeing that is not Apple-based, but people talking about it, um, it's still a headset and not glasses. Um, it will yeah, look like an iPhone too in the future. You say what? Those glasses won't be out for a while. That's all I want. I want I want glasses that can read me my book while I while I read the book. And you know, at the end of that, it might just be implanting knowledge into the head. But I like a good book read. You know. What if it's like so like instead of headphones, the the glasses vibrate on your temple and that's how you like hear. I think that's a, that was a thing with another thing. That would be nasty. I'm pretty it's it's bone conduction. I think that they use it for cochlear implants. It 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 rings off the skull and like helps deaf people hear. I think that's a thing. How much money would it cost to develop that? Billions. They got it. <laughs> they got they got billions in the bonds, bro. They got cash on the side. Damn, they probably just have like crazy experience experiments going on at Apple, and not one person has access to everything. It's pretty decentralized, you know. Except maybe Tim. Tim Tim Loki might not know about a couple projects. 
I think Tim doesn't know about a lot of stuff. He just sees like the on whole purpose final though, product. or like. <laughs> Well, there's so much stuff going on at Apple. That's what know? I'm saying. Not on, not on. Like he's like walled out of it. Just, he probably makes know. like he probably hits like a couple meetings a day. Makes a couple big decisions. You gotta do the most important stuff, and then the you know, fucking keynotes. Delegate. Fucking, I don't know. He's probably. My thing is like, like most people just think about the American business of Apple. Like, there's a whole other bunch of countries he's probably thinking about too like china shipping production also they have a goddamn tv studio also what if we get sued again we got to get our we got to get our uh we got to get our lawyers out. like right your camera zoomed out as your as your phone ring a camera zoomed out really yeah looks better i like it i do see your vacuum though i wonder why i did that as your phone ring but my uh my um my camera like my FaceTime thing on my computer is up too and it's also using the camera. Mhm. Mm so they're like both using the camera. Mm. Is it going to zoom back in? That was weird. <laughs> um I want glasses that can read me but I want very efficient book reading, okay? I just want to be give me some technology that gives me efficient book reading. Is I'll be still happy. A book at that point. I don't care. I mean, in, in uh, a uh, you can call it you can call it something else. I'll still call it a book for a couple years. Um, I don't know if if, if that uh, evolves into just like shooting information into your brain. I don't know if I'm down with that or if I don't like that. I think I like it. Um, and then also, which I I recently saw things that I saw like baby steps towards but just medical technology that allows you to hack your life via chemicals and, and tracking of stuff does hack your life mean giving you metrics about your biology uh for food habits or interaction habits or or activity habits that puts you either in a, a good mood or a progressive mood toward a goal if you saw hey ricker you haven't been happy enough today would that make you happy maybe do a little better marketing than that but but <laughs> but it would, it would smile today it Your would show smile you levels are low but it tells you what activities are potentially leading to the chemicals in the brain that are signaling sadness Mm. Oh, wow. pretty cool there is a thing that uh so google has a health division mm -hmm. it's very interesting it's called something with a v but they, google, they i think i've heard of it it's it's not a google thing it's a subsidiary they have google vc though they have a couple uh, investment branches as well something with a it's like virality but maybe not um let me see if i can find something um, but they, they had something that would prick your skin the size of a quarter and it like tracks diabetes through like the natural electricness of your body. That's pretty close. Little, little baby steps towards what I'm thinking of. Pretty cool stuff.
Damn, so much going on. Yeah, just a lot of stuff, you know? But then sometimes you just got to sit and look straight. Sit and look straight. <laughs> like, what's the last time you could sit and look straight and notice your thoughts rolling by and just let them roll by and not get all caught up in them? Oh, God, I don't know. Look, try to do it on the daily. I don't, know, I don't even know what that means. Not caught <laughs> up in your thoughts, like not thinking? No, no, no. Uh, so it's a, a meditation thing where uh, you're very aware of your thoughts. It's not like you're not trying to think, but you're, I kind of brought it up before, but you're aware of your thoughts appearing just like a, like a sound appears and you don't get attached to it and kind of just let it roll by and then go back to the neutral state of just kind of awareness. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I can't tell you. I can't tell the difference. I just it, think. Yeah. And sometimes I just ignore the thoughts. Sometimes it, I just ignore the feelings. Being aware of the thoughts popping up and then aware of like, you are not your thoughts because you don't choose your thoughts is anxiety a thought or a feeling there might be some chemicalness with that um i feel like that's Sometimes more violent. anxious i'm like oh this isn't helpful i'm just not gonna think about this feeling I'm just gonna ignore it huh. that might be less biochemical um i mean anxiety might just i don't know because I, I feel like anxiety is a lot more chemical, but it could not. Anxiety said some anxiety. So someone told me anxiety is just thinking fight about or flight response. Oh, really? But when there's nothing to fight and nothing to run from, you still get the same feeling. So you kind of feel trapped. Huh. Yeah. So whenever I feel that, I'm just like, all right, well. Is it triggered by thinking about certain things or just like random? Sometimes certain things. Sometimes, like, I'm like, oh, what if this happens? You know? Yeah. Yeah, that's just kind of thinking about the future. <laughs> yeah. It's a thing, though, because <laughs> you don't choose your thoughts. I'm not really choosing what's coming out of my mouth right now. I'm just kind of talking. I'm not consciously thinking about the words that are coming out because from my perspective right now, you don't really choose what you're thinking about. Just They just appear. And the, the, the practice is to realize that they're just appearing like anything else in the world. Like a plane, I don't choose if I hear a plane. And I don't really choose the certain thoughts that is in my mind. Did you think, though, at least for the talking portion, that kind of like runs away from responsibility of things that you say? There, there's a whole responsibility thing about it. It's a, it's a thing from Sam Harris. Um, and he, he's in the camp that there's no free will. Uh, I think his response was that you still have responsibility for what you say and actions, but you're just not consciously bringing them into the forefront of your brain. So like if I were to say like an extremely, so first of all, I would think of an extremely racist joke, right? But I can't really control that is what you're saying, the thought. But I feel no, like I can. I feel like I have the thought, all right, time to think of something racist. And then something that, pops up. But you're not choosing to think that. Like, even if you, if you have, he says, if, if you think you have, you're choosing between two things, to what to say or what not to say, that is still an unconscious decision popping into your brain. Like you say, I want to say Apple. Like, I 
it sounds like I choose. I wanted to say Apple, but I didn't really choose out of all the things that is implanted in my brain to say I didn't choose Apple. Like, I, could I have chosen anything else? Do you choose to talk about? I guess so. I don't know. <laughs> it's. I mean, if you're in a conversation with somebody and you're talking, um, it's it's almost reactionary the words that you say next. Like if, if someone's saying one thing, it, it'll probably influence what comes out your mouth. And it's usually unconscious. Okay. Yeah. I see. Do you? No. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say I don't see. Yeah. Some some Harris Sam Harris YouTube videos, if anyone's interested about it. He's Sam obviously Harris thought about it um but the the meditative thing it's kind of it's kind of a thing you kind of it's a lot more experiential and all this kind of just comes from that um but it's just you know being aware of thoughts appearing like when you're sitting if you if you sit and try to you know meditate say you try to meditate thoughts are coming into your head and the practice is that um, just like anything else that appears in front of you thoughts appear in front of you without your willing them but then it kind of goes back to like are you sure it's, I'm, I'm willing my thoughts you just kind of have to experience it I suppose yeah but God damn. if anyone is interested in that, there's a lot of YouTubes of people that have probably thought about it all their lives. Um, Axie Infinity. You ever heard of it? Oh. No? Axiom? No, Axie Infinity is a play-to-earn game. No, I haven't. You'd probably be interested. Um, let me see if I can get a definition. It's a... A play-to-earn game, meaning um, it's an NFT-based video game. It's a uses an Ethereum-based currency. Have you seen the currency AXS? Yes. AXS is Axie Infinity. This is so cute. It looks like Maple Story. Uh, so people pl be playing that right, and uh, a big thing for play-to-earn, uh, which is which is basically NFT-based video games online which is also some some are decentralized i think but some aren't um but just generally a play to earn i think a lot of other countries are playing these games and they get these cryptocurrencies and they're able to earn more uh value with currencies than like other laborist jobs so a lot of companies are going like not companies countries citizens and countries are using play to earn games as like a generation of wealth more so they can do before uh, which is something. But Axie Infinity is one of the popular ones. Um, I remember when I was first getting acclimated to Ethereum stuff, uh, I think I was on like an Ethereum Reddit. This is probably just at the beginning of freaking 2021, dude. Um, and I remember seeing a couple things and it was like Ethereum-based gaming. And if, if I had played any of those, it would have been a a nice thing for my future. But Axie Infinity is one of the popular games. 
This tweet says it's on track to get $2.7 billion in annualized revenue without an ad platform and 2 million daily average users, I believe DAU means. And Snapchat has 308 million daily average users and will be 4 billion revenue. So 2.7 billion revenue with 2 million players, users yeah. versus Snapchat, 4 billion, 308 users. Could be a, a I don't know the geographic users of Snapchat. I don't know if it's worldwide, um, but that's an interesting stat that I saw. Fucking Ethereum. What yeah. a time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm glad I'll always be able to say I heard about crypto in college. Well, really before. But so it's like Facebook internet in, in internet in college? Yeah. It's like, yeah, Facebook came out when I was in college. So one yeah, day yeah, I was just I gonna be so old. Like, damn. We're like, damn, that long. People won't know it as Facebook anymore. Facebook the app will probably be dead. What was life like before the metaverse? Like how do people work? Are you asking? No, that's in, what people in, okay. will ask. Because right, okay. now I'm asking <laughs> how do people my work physically? superiors, yo, how did you get anything done before the internet in this fucking office? File cabinets. Yeah. Like, what the hell, dude? It's disgusting. Yeah. So yeah. Asking, asking I don't how know. the world worked before. I don't know. I need to quit my job. I need to do something. They're going to move me. I think they're going to move me. What do you mean? So, so they're going to move me to a new location, and I'm not uh -uh. about it. The great, the great, uh, the great resignation hits another, it, hits another local government business. I might, it might, but like, oh, fuck. It's not, dude, I, I should just do it, dude. I'm not even making that much money there. It, it would be so easy to make the amount of money there I make per month somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's it, you, you. I've said it on the podcast before, but you can easily find a remote job that gives you more money. Yeah, I'm just gonna be like, yeah, sorry, bro. I was only here for the healthcare, but I think I'll be fine. Will that eventually ruin a middle class labor economy? Yeah, but you know, here's the thing though. Like, I fucking I get paid not that much, but I I can't really ask for a raise because I don't really do anything. That too. Uh, I I I've um I've seen. And, and it's kind of less for like people who are like super specialized in code. Like if you're specialized in code or you like in some salary position that you get like over 150 K, you probably have a very good like stake in that company, you know, like they they probably miss you, but it's a lot easier for people to get a raise by leaving their job and going somewhere else. Especially if you already have like an offer, like, yo, yeah. They're paying me, they're offering this much. What are you going to do about it? It's it's very hard for incumbent companies, especially when you're not just a super, super valuable part of that company um, it, for them to give you a raise. But you you could probably do that same value at another employer for like 20K more. You said it's hard for them to not give you a raise? A company that uh, an employee is at it's it's a lot f more friction to give people a raise. Like it's it's hard if I was employed by a company, I was getting like like 
80K. And I was like, yo, can I get a $20,000 raise? They'll probably be like, probably not, dude. And then if I apply for another job, I will easily find a, a, a bigger pay than someone else at that incumbent company will give me. Yeah, I would, I wouldn't even ask for a raise unless I had a backup, honestly, <laughs> or unless I had like proof, like, yo, I've made you this much money. Well, that's myself. also the thing. That's also the thing I advise, I have been told that, and I advise anybody to understand the metrics of really what, what you're making that company. Because without that, you, you, it's, you can't get a raise. <laughs> like if, unless you can be like, yo, I'm, I'm making this specific amount of money with my specific tools that I'm lending to you for my time. Damn, I wish I had known that when I worked at the microphone store. What, I'm, I'm making you this much money? I was getting paid peanuts and I was making that guy so much money. The margins are also a thing. <laughs> but he owned all the equipment. Oh, really? And That's the building. Funny. Dang, good job. Yeah. Him, so, and I'm just like, dude, like, the, you're only making this money because of my fucking sound engineering skills. Yeah. Dude. So, why am I getting paid $14 an hour? Yeah. The, uh, dang, yeah. That's, that's interesting for a, a, uh, a, a business with high margins being like, yo, I'm making you a lot of money. Yeah. It, it could be like, well, the value that your of your work is not that margin based, you know, not that margin based, bro. I was making him like 50 K a month, dude. But what I'm saying is, is the, the margin that he's getting equal to like a 50 K a month job. Like were you doing 50 K worth? It's all value based, but of, of a job every day. Was I doing fifty k worth of a job every day? Yeah, like the skills that you're bringing. No, not every day, but on the days I was, mm -hmm. when I had to set up events mm -hmm. for like mm -hmm. big ass parties in Beverly Hills. Oh yeah, yeah. I was I'd be like, I'd be way like, yeah, underpaid. This, yeah, yeah. So then you're basically an event coordinator slash audio engineer, <laughs> and you're yeah, like, all right, like, I could go like somewhere a, else. It's like a and, at least a twenty one dollar an hour job. <laughs> You're like, I go somewhere else right now, my guy. Yeah. Like, I'm out. Like, but there's he, no reason why I had to have two jobs there. Yeah. 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 I, my advice is always know the metrics of the revenue you're creating for a company. Because um, then you know where you're at, dude. Maybe you know the metrics and the, and the stuff you're getting paid is like, okay, well, this is, I'm definitely not making this in revenue for this company, but they're paying me probably more than what I'm giving them. So, or you're saying, the work I do brings in so much money for this company. I can be like, Hey, what's going on here, guys? What's up? I leave, you lose 500 K. You, you gonna, you gonna give me 30 K a year assholes. Yeah. Well, my job is like most of the time I'm not worth the money, mm -hmm. but when I'm needed, I'm worth the money. Cause like do a lot of money's be, on the line. Uh, do you, you think, that finding someone else would be cumbersome enough for them to give you more money for your time? Just the fact that, well, it's different, <clears throat> it's different because it's not a company, it's the city government. But would it be more cumbersome for them to find a replacement than just to give you like? Yes. 
well, not to look. find, but to hire, to bring on board. Yeah, yeah. Lots of people would apply, <laughs> but that pro that's like a six month process. It's such a bitch. So here, listen up here, Terry. I'm out of here, right? I'm out. Bro, I, <laughs> I think I fucking uh, got Zach a job like oh, back yeah. in July, dude. It's November. He's still fucking waiting. What do you so, mean? They they have to like fucking like go through your background and like take your fingerprints. Like a oh really? It's a whole bullshit. It's bullshit. There's a a com a company in that book I read called Block Stacks. I think they're just called Stacks now, but they're the project behind uh, City Coin, like New York and like Miami. I think are doing some kind of like utility based incentive for citizens in their city, and I think they're using City Coin as a project uh, currency. Um, and, and this book was written in like 20, dude, it was crazy to read. Like this, this book was about like cryptocurrency. It was written in 2018 and it's not like the, and it's like, it was weird as like reading the present, but everything's just a little bit different. It didn't bring up smart, I don't know, it brought smart contracts, but like NFT craze of like JPEGs for hella value didn't hit yet. Um, cause it happened like a few months ago, but it was weird. It was weird to read a book and like, yeah, this is like not out of date um and block why is they bringing up block stacks why did etoro delist cardano just in the u.s uh yeah regulation that has stuff. to do with the juicy juicy black friday sale i mean price always precedes news man i mean you got some covid news with price you got a little bit of I mean, Bitcoin's been red for a few days now, but you know, end of the month, people might be doing tax stuff. There's always news you can put to it. Is there reasons? There's probably a cornucopia of reasons. Does it matter at the end of the day? A little bit, probably. Uh, yeah. Why? So I can know when to allocate funds to buy more. That's still just price-based. Is the news that is making price the important part? If if there's some juicy news that might come out, sure, I'm ready. But if I wake up and Bitcoin's like $35,000, I would be like, shit, I wish I had like done some research to see if anything might have caused a $20,000 drop overnight. I don't, I mean, you think you can find that news? Well, if it drops $20,000, I'm sure it's pretty big news. I'm sure not it's really like, with Bitcoin, man. I'm I sure mean, it's like, oh, Joe Biden made Bitcoin illegal or something. Like, yeah, but you you think you're gonna find that the, the night before? I don't know, maybe. But especially with Bitcoin and crypto, like big drops. Sure, someone's gonna slap a news piece on it, and it might be re related to that news piece, or it might be something else, and there's news on top of that. But you know, price is price, and 20% drops have happened pretty, yeah, pretty regularly. They always happen for like something. Someone sold a lot. <laughs> yeah. But like, here's the thing though, like someone sells and then that triggers response that people panic, right? Yes, yes, yes. So like, there has to be like something to trigger the panic, you know, Th there's, can it be that say, just someone sold an enormous amount and it, it, it triggers a, a good portion of a sell-off. And yeah. so people's response is like, okay, something has 
has to have, have happened? Is it possible that nothing happened? And then news organizations are scrambling for news to try to, to alleviate the human brain of something has to be the reason for this and then slap news on it. And it could maybe correlated or it may be, you know, just happened in that same amount of time. Absolutely. But the drops that matter, like the crash of 2017 or 2018, the crash of 2021, those are attached to really big pieces of news that like, they're just an undeniable link. That what was the spark? What, what were the news is before? for the, the, the significant crashes. 2017, I believe, was that whole like bullshit with Tether and like it being like a Ponzi scheme and then people just losing faith in crypto almost as a whole. And then it just like went into okay, okay. a deep slumber. Okay, okay. And then 2021, I believe, was just that Elon Musk drama. You know, I don't know. You know I think I honestly, I honestly think it's kind of delusional to not like look at the timestamp of the tweet and then look at the time that Bitcoin plummeted 50% and be like, no correlation there. That's just me. Sure. Sure. Perhaps. Like if they had happened at different times, maybe six hours apart, I'd be like, okay, you know, maybe, maybe something, but it's like, dude, Elon Musk is a thought leader, bro. If he says buy Bitcoin, people are going to buy it. He people literally will... brought Doge from the death, from the fucking grave. And now like people take it seriously. Humans, humans are indebted to human psychology. Yes. Like a lot, a lot of this stuff is just psychology. A lot of it. A lot of it. Most of it. That plus other big monies triggering humans being like, yo, I got to do something. It always starts with big monies. So I'm interested, like, you know, crypto, crypto, crypto. Still, at the end of the day, I think it goes back to just big monies. See Twitter Blue, man? What? Twitter had a thing called Twitter Blue now. And there's, like, ad-free articles, and you can, uh, and there's, like, 15 seconds before you publish a tweet where there's a countdown. And it kind of just popped up in the left-hand side of Twitter. I thought it was pretty interesting. So like their YouTube Red? Kinda. That's also what that book was talking about, of like, people have, on these platforms, have had such a disruptive experience that they're willing to pay for a different experience. Oh, you can edit tweets now. I don't know if you can edit it. Typo, forgot to tag someone, take back your and resend your tweets with a time frame you choose. You can undo a tweet for 15 seconds. A month. So there's a countdown, 15 seconds. Uh, so they all right, tweet's going out, bro. You ready? And you can you can say, hey, no, I'm not ready. And then retype it. I wonder who's going to buy this. <laughs> Twitter blue? Probably like companies. Uh, yeah, it's, a, it's probably a, a big thing for companies that make their bread and butter off, or at least just community off Twitter and instead of someone, you know, typo, Elon Musk, you'd be like, oops, Elon Musk. thought that was interesting though. Cause like, does YouTube Red still exist? It's a really weird logo. Uh, it's called YouTube Premium. I see. 
And it's, it, this also has to do with uh, publishers, which is interesting. And it, I think it's all just kind of going towards... Because Twitter, Twitter's making decentralized stuff. I think they're kind of like, all right, guys, you see what we're doing here? We're getting hip with it, you know? We're not going to dell about it. We're going to have some decentralized publisher incentives. TB Dex. Fucking Twitter. Someone said one time, a long time ago, I forgot what it was, that like Twitter keeps all of your DMs forever, whether you delete your account or not. And Dude. like they're just like available for people on the inside to like look through your stuff. I wouldn't be surprised. It's like, damn, do they also keep your password in plain text too? Someone got in trouble for doing that. I think it was Facebook where like if you just go into the Facebook code, like everybody's password was just like <laughs> out. Probably got to hide that code be, a little bit. Yeah, it's supposed hide to that be code hash. Supposed to get hashed and didn't get hashed. Yeah, so someone lost their job. I can't explain hash off top. Can you explain hash off top? Hashing is like changing English, like stuff that we can understand into like a string of letters that only a computer can understand. A hash function, any function that can be used to map data. Don't know. It's pretty interesting that, uh, and I didn't even think about this before, that computer code is always based in English. Do you know Wolfram Alpha? Back in the day, what he used to go on Wolfram Alpha for, for math? Yeah. <clears throat> the, it's a guy, I think, named Wolfram. <clears throat> but his whole thing is taking, like, I think building a universal language for computing. Um, I don't know if that means straight from English into stuff or like non-English comprehension of language for computing, but he had a very interesting podcast on the Lex Friedman, Friedman podcast. Um, and it, it has something to do with Cardano and how they're using Wolfram. Um, but it's very, very, very interesting about computing language into like human language. Hmm. Hash. Keys are in English. A hash function happens and they go into hashes. Just code. Ayo. How was your week? What's going on? What happened? Um, What'd you fail like, at? What'd you succeed at? I got like, How much sleep did you get? Not a lot of sleep. I got like almost 40,000 followers on TikTok. Nice. This week. It's like, it's like landing a big fish. Like, all right, I caught something. Yeah, just doubling down on what works. Now I'm just like slaving away trying to put out two videos a day. That is also a part of it. I would like to find an editor, but you know, I can just, I can manage for now. But it's cool, you know, it's chill. I could probably do one a day, but I'm afraid I'm afraid of losing the momentum. It's I'm interesting, huh? My foot off the gas. It's interesting. Especially with TikTok. It feels like that's even more so. 
I guess it's the fast paced nature of it. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. It's like, it's, I feel like definitely getting followers on TikTok is way easier than YouTube. Mm-hmm. So, but this TikTok has gained me like over a hundred YouTube subscribers. 40k, 100. I don't know that conversion rate off top. Um, I joined the TikTok fund, creator fund. Yes. Um, I've made a whopping zero dollars and zero cents. Yeah. So far, apparently they don't they don't pay very well. They do not. So I'm. You need about millions and millions and millions. Yeah, I'm just using this as a. Uh, it's a funnel, dude. A funnel to the YouTube, which is where the juice is, and then the YouTube. Barely. <laughs> fucking no, 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 no. Finance YouTube channels. Sure, sure, sure. Good CPN. That over thirty-five dollar CPN is good money for a little bit of views. Um, and then I don't know, maybe creating a product and selling it to that audience. But nice. Yeah, this is this is cool. Just gotta fucking keep the the machine running. Oh God, yeah, those TikTok conversions, man, into other places. It's more than zero, but like, pretty dismal. I think. Yeah, I don't. So I have my um, Coinbase referral link on here. How'd that go? I don't know if if Coinbase is supposed to notify you if someone signed up but i haven't gotten any emails or anything so i don't know if it's converting or not i'm trying to think in my past but i think the youtube is converting fine because i haven't made a video in two weeks and i'm still getting a lot of subscribers but also one of my videos on here is like kind of blowing up too i see i see heck yeah way to fish (laughs) yeah just buy my book how to fish on the internet Fucking, can you tell I'm using a green screen? Hmm? And my TikToks? I don't even know if you've seen them. I've seen on, like, a couch? The last three, I'm using a green screen. The the TikTok green screen or a green screen green screen? Green screen green screen. Let's see. When my skin looks less brown and more red. You're using a green screen of the, your couch? No, the couch is real, but the wall is fake. <laughs> no, I can't tell. Yeah, because I'm just like, what if I want the option of putting a picture behind me? I'm just going to leave that option open. What if I would like bust everyone's balls with a sick effect? Solid. Yeah. Hey, Amen. Those podcast boys. <laughs> it's a green screen with a 360 camera. Yeah. I mean, it's not, but it's I like a the good start. Okay, sure. But like, come on now. Yeah, but it's, if you put on like a headset, you you're can still, you're still look in their room. Sure, sure, sure. And that is, I guess I haven't seen that before, at least for a podcast. I've, I've seen 360 cams before. And you know, green screens I've seen. Like imagine that, but like uh like a late night show. Yeah, no, the the studio aspect of that is really cool, but just a little more in depth. 
I think they're I think they're onto something there. I was just polarized by saying they got me polarized, which is a good a good thing <laughs> for them because they're like, what, huh, huh, what are you doing? I mean, it would be maybe a little better if it was like a live show you tap into. That's what I'm saying. It, right. And it's also like, and I've said this before, but a lot of this metaverse stuff is just like a slow crawl evolution of things that already exist with clunky VR headsets. Well, I consider like personally. I and everybody's making the definition of metaverse. It's just that everything is it's virtual. <laughs> well, I could, yeah, I consider the, the metaverse already here. Like yeah. talking to people on like this, I consider this the metaverse, just like very, very, very archaic. Sure. Slap that on. It's like the net, dude. We're on the net. We're on the web, dude. Check out our, 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 web. our check out check out our show on the web. Dude, I just got the World Wide Web in my house. You want to go browse? <laughs> All right, dude. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. What are you doing this week? Editing TikToks and working <laughs> like a slave. I don't want to go to work well. tonight at old man bar guy but it's not that like tick i mean you probably can't mix your ticks with those talks cannot cannot mix that niche (laughs) niche all the way down bro just on a freaking just on a thread dude they're like all right this is what you do now come on give it to us and i don't mind it i think that's a easy 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 as hell to film Mm -hmm. just takes a little bit to edit like i can knock out 10 tiktoks in an hour nice and then i'm good for five days but it's just the fucking captions. Mm. Take a second. Rick and Bond, everybody. Rick and Subscribe. Hit us in the messages for Discord. Yo, shout out my guy, uh, um, my, sh- my guy Bones, and not Bones, just Bone, and Homegrown Wealth, dude, for uh, keeping it lit in there. Appreciate shout it. Shout out my cousin London for the nice hair. Uh, if you That's have hair twisted in LA, just DM me and I'll give you give her info london's a cool name unless you go to the uk yeah but i've met georgia's before you know yeah there's america's here yeah i don't like the name america at all not really why like it it hits different than like a georgia or a london maybe it's kind of like it the the uh, syllables or like that like a to the m every america i've ever met has been Mexican, so I'm like, yeah, oh, that too. I think I think it's uh, like had dreams of coming to America or something. Yeah, Latin thing. I'm gonna name my kid China. I'm gonna name my kid Houston. Actually, I've also Houston's a pretty cool name, dude. Houston just sounds like a big ass football player. <laughs> it also just sounds like Hugh. Houston's a dope name, dude. Houston, I don't like that name. <laughs> Call it Dog Houston. There's, there's a that's a cool. It's, it's something to say. There's, Houston. there's a. I always liked it like random words that I think would be fun names, like kind of jokingly, like Brown. I think would be a cool name, jokingly kind of, but also Gross. not. I think you know, you know, Brown. You're like, what's up? It's my guy Brown. Uh, you can also call him Brownie. I like girl names that are boy names. Like Ryan is my cat. Like Gertrude. You gross. This is this is this is my girl. Harry. Francine. Ugh. This is my girl John. Ugh. It's my girl Jonathan. Ugh. So you know someone out there is naming their fucking daughter Jonathan. And that daughter is just gonna be like, what the fuck? Like there's just a whole lot of stereotypes already embedded into that name. Jonathan. Right. Jonathan. Could that be a girl name? 
it it any any name could be any gender name. It's just there's very uh, ingrained perception on names. Jonathan, but like some names are like just prettier than other names. Like Felicity, it, it could be a thing where uh, stereotypically female names might be higher in the like not throat region, so it's more like nasal. Like so, like, when I I know a guy named Angel, every time I say his name, I'm like, bro, you got a girl's name. Well, that's also like people kind of associate angel with femininity but i know angels like uh it could be any gender but it just sounds like a pretty girl's name also angel like any angel i think of is definitely like a latin dude <laughs> always <laughs> like what's, what's the what's the spanish how do you say angel in spanish just on hell on hell yeah like if i <laughs> if i looked up like if a girl came to me and like I was like yo my name's angel i'd be like hmm I don't know. Are you sure you're not a Latin dude? On hell. Yeah. That's a pretty right. that's that's a pretty stereotypically male used name. Angel. I'm like, yo, I can tell your mom named you that, bro. <laughs> you tell your mom at full. Names are also rights. like the most socially constructed thing like ever. Just English language to English person. Not English, yeah. but thanks for listening, everybody. Just call people by their skin color. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Fuck. Also, it would also only be like, well, then <clears throat> do you go like the whole range of the color spectrum? Because there's a whole lot of like different like, wavelengths in there. You could or call you just go, people their numbers by numbers. Seven. I'm glad. I'm just going to say I'm glad we don't choose, choose our own names because that's way too much responsibility. My name would probably be like Bucket or something. <laughs> <laughs> Just like as a kid or like as a 20 yeah, year old or what? Like, call me Bucket. Bucket's kind of cool. I call him a kid Bucket. I used bucket? to want my name to be Kyle, actually. It's always weird to be like, yo, I wish I was this other name. Yeah, <clears> You're just indebted to that name. Embedded. Kyle. I mean, you could change your name. I'm good with Kyle. I'm good off Kyle. Ugh. Just, Kyle. I looked at myself and then thought of Kyle. Well, hopefully your name wouldn't be Kyle with that long ass hair. <clears throat> Kyle's a short hair name? No, if your name is Kyle and your name is long, I just and your hair is long, I just know you're a douche. Mm, okay. Yeah. Are they from like are they southern or are they like west coast? No, they're from San Diego. All okay. <laughs> <laughs> totally Kyle. Uh sure, sure, sure. Or right, like wasn't Hannah Montana's brother Kyle? No, that was Jackson. Oh. He could be a Kyle. He could be a Kyle. I don't I the, the Kyles I know are not stereotypically like uh West Coast voice. All the cows I know just kick ass at sports. Mm, yeah. Good jock name. It's always like a cool name, you know? I was like, why why does my name so nerdy and I'm fucking a nerd? <laughs> you think I mean there's probably two of the most common names is John Kyle. Like again, just kind of a social construct thing with mental name recognition. Change <laughs> my name to Boo. What? Change my name to Boo. I like the name Bucket, dude. Bucket. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna name my kid Bucket. And just oh, see how he turns. I'm gonna name one kid Bucket and the other kid Bartholomew. Oh man. And just see what happens as they go through life. Sure, you want to do a social experiment on your children? <laughs> and I have the third one that's just you know, Steve. Just a fucking. Uh, <laughs> I forgot what it's called. All right, let's get out of here. Good day. Good day.